Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Brought to you by the Where to Hunt podcast. It's Tactical Talk with real hunters getting it done across the nation. Hey everybody, uh, Eric Clark here with the Where to Hunt podcast. We're doing another Tactic Talk and today joining us on the line is Chad Sylvester with Exodus Outdoor Gear, aka Exodus Trail Cams as you might know them. And we're going to dive really deep into early season trail cam strategy and tactics, things that you should definitely know if you're taking it seriously. Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're just going to pick your brain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there's much there. There's not much left. Um, you own and operate uh, Exodus. I don't even know how many trail cams you guys have uh, put into the market. I think quite a few. I think Josh Prophet has all of them. <laughs> He has a pile of them, that's yeah. for sure. But with that being said, you know, what are some things that you advise the people that are buying your products, how to use them, how to deploy them for early season specifically? Well, for me, early season really starts at that third or fourth week of August, right when that photo period starts to decrease, um, bucks tea levels are starting to rise, that velvet is about to be shed and they're starting to break up into bachelor groups. And I say the third or fourth week of August because I want to be in there and have those camera locations picked out and hung, actually the physical camera hung on the tree before that shift actually happens. So I'm not being too intrusive with any type of human footprint or pressure causing them uh, to possibly alter, you know, alter or shift their pattern from what it normally would be. So um, that's really the time we're starting to look at deploying cameras. And if you're a couple of weeks late, you're a couple of weeks late, you still have to get them out. But ideally, um, you know, at the beginning of the early season, we're really trying to focus on food sources for inventory. And for us specifically, uh, we hunt a lot of big woods, a lot of public land. So the majority of the time, those are on some type of white oaks. Um, I mean, you get really technical with the subspecies, but let's just call it white oaks. And, you know, those are types of areas that we're hanging those cameras for basically inventory purposes only. It's great if a deer shows up in that transition time, or maybe he's a daylight walker in those, in those first couple of weeks, and you do have the possibility of hunting them. But those specific locations are more for us gathering inventory, what bucks are, in lo are, are local, um, and really trying to devise a game plan for further camera sets um, and try to really almost backtrack those deer or what guys would do if they were cutting tracks. You're just kind of leapfrogging those cameras back into possible bedding or staging areas um, to give yourself really a, a hunting opportunity um, from that initial initial data point. Now, I guess that scenario kind of plays out in the world where you're on a new piece of property and you don't have a large data pool or data collection to pull off of um, like annual trail camera history. We're very big believers in, in annual data. We run over well over 100 cameras a year um, and over 100 dedicated on this specific on one specific piece of public. And we've done that for five or six years now. So one of the trends that we see 
in that annual data is deer showing up, maybe not in the same exact tree, um, but showing up in the, in the same area year after year after year, um, assuming or, or knowing that there's no, uh, I guess, influx of pressure or major habitat changes, no, no clear cuts or, you know, uh, major food source change. Um, and I think all of that is applicable to farm country. Um, I think just the, the strategy around the inventory and food just changes on that food source. So maybe, you know, those beans are turning, turning brown, obviously, if there's no other food plot or green food source, that's still probably acorns, um, a hard mass, maybe a fruit mass or, or what have you. But I think the, the overall strategy there really stays the same. So when you talk about cutting tracks and working backwards into like a buck bedding, um, you know, whether you, you have that historical that or not, if this is like a new property and you're learning about it, and you're backing into that space, how close is too close? And what's the timeline look like? Well, that's a, that's the question <laughs> we all really ask ourselves: how close is too close. And I, I don't think you really know until you go screw one up. <laughs> um, but generally speaking, I don't think that you need to have pictures of a deer in his bed. I, you know, I, I think that you can, kind of look at those photos from your inventory collection and those data points and then reference some type of topography map or um, aerial photos, aerial map, and try to almost identify possible bedding opportunities and then maybe come back out 150 yards, maybe 100 yards, maybe 200 yards. And basically while you're in there hanging those cameras, try to scout to see where you think those deer are going to stage up or hole up. Um, and that's typically where we're hanging our cameras. We're not really pushing the envelope into, you know, a bedding area or trying to find a specific bed to hang those cameras, unless it's, you know, cellular specific. If you're, you're running cell cameras, that, that kind of changes this whole, whole topic a little bit. Um, but with regular SD card cameras, if you have a picture of a deer consistently, you know, right around that transition time, maybe he's 20 minutes after uh, shooting light expires, you're going to have a really good idea by referencing those maps where he's coming from. Um, so you don't really need that, you know, you don't really need to have that photo. If you have that photo in context close enough to those shooting hours, mm -hmm. you can go ahead and make that judgment and, um, be mobile and go, go hang. Make some set. estimated guesses and some good assumptions and, you know, good hunters, some of the guys that are doing what you're talking about, taking it more seriously, they have that knowledge anyways, right. In their, in their bank, so to speak. Um, exactly. And in, in early season, you know, from what I've learned so far, really allows us the opportunity to be more aggressive. So you mentioned like until you mess it up. So it's good to know that you like, obviously you ought not to have to go that far into the bedroom, like getting a picture of buck laying down. If you trip on that, you know, every, every blind squirrel can find a, a nut, right. Or whatever broken clock is twice a day, whatever statement you want to put there. Um, but what other things can you allow yourself some error on with trail cams as we talk about early season before the pressure really ticks up? Well, what you can allow, um, I think that you can allow some early season card checks to, to kind of confirm that that camera location is where it needs to be. And then if it's not, you can go ahead and make those micro adjustments. I think you have uh, probably a week to maybe 10 days, depending on, you know, the hunting pressure on that specific piece, but you can go ahead and I think that's my, again, opinion. I think there's time there to go ahead and confirm that that camera is in the right spot and go ahead and, make a shift or move it maybe 20 yards or maybe it needs to be pointing in a different direction or maybe you're hundred yards away from where that camera should be, should be. But, um, I think that, I think there's time there to, you know, if you do make that error, you can go ahead and, and make that adjustment before, um, that pressure really starts to pick up around October 1st. I know that's like, it seems like that's the date yeah. everywhere, at least in Ohio. Um, 
um, you know, that first weekend of October, whether our season comes in September 26th or October 3rd, it's the first weekend of October is really when that influx of, of pressure hits. Yeah, the mosquitoes have maybe subsided a little bit and some guys are <laughs> like me are finally going out. Although that's probably going to change this year and do everything I can to thwart those damn bugs. Um, so there's, it's interesting because now that I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm seeing there's a couple different layers here. Like if you're just trying to get inventory on ammo, especially in a new property, there's different things you can do versus if you're trying to get historical repeatable data on an existing area that you've hunted for many years. Um, and obviously the number of trail cams you're running that can vary from hunter to hunter. And then you talk about like the cell cam stuff too, that changes everything. Also, there's a lot to consider here. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's your brand or someone else's like, no matter what, even on a cheap level, trail cams aren't inexpensive, right? You really got to, um, put some money into these things and not to mention even just the batteries, uh, that you probably have to put into these things. So, you know, the best use of a trail cam, I think what I'm trying to get at here maybe is, uh, using it more as a tool for like a target buck rather than just inventory. It seems like a lot of folks, when I look at what's happening in social, are using it for inventory management and just gaining some of that initial insight. How are people leveling up their trail cam approach? Like what are, what other things are they doing to leverage that technology? Well, I think in the, in the recent years with more and more people looking at that annual, annual pattern, I think guys are maybe not leveraging the technology, but they're leverage, leveraging the asset and the capabilities of going ahead and, and setting those cameras out and letting them run 365 because that data is so accurate and, and so important. But on the technology side, um, you know, cellular cameras are just now, I feel like, getting to the point where it's, uh, it's hitting critical, maybe not critical mass, but it's hitting mass social acceptance where people are now intrigued and, and inquisitive about products um, and, and actually how they work. So when you start looking at the technology behind connected devices, that, that changes, this, like I said, it changes this whole conversation because you're able to go in and press, go ahead and press that envelope um, maybe a little further with the cellular cameras. And maybe you are trying to pinpoint a specific deer. And when you have several of those things running, several of, the, several of those cellular cameras running, providing real-time accurate data, um, you're able to reference the weather a lot faster. You're able to reference um, movement patterns. You're able to recognize pressure. Um, there's just a lot more things there that happen in real time where the data is more accurate versus, you know, pulling that card seven days or, or maybe two weeks after you initially hung that camera. And then you're kind of sorting soaring through those data points and trying to figure out what's accurate. Was the deer bump by a coyote? Is that why it's out of his bed early? Was it, is it the moon? Is it the wind speed? I mean, there's so many variables there when you start to... There's a lagging effect to the traditional model, I guess. You're kind of making decisions based on historical information more so. Kind of like accounting versus managerial accounting. You're looking ahead on a managerial side. At least you're looking at a little bit more real-time with the cell cam kind of approach rather than boots on the ground going out there pulling cards and looking at what happened, you know, a couple weeks beforehand or what have you. Exactly. Because you're scared to go in there to put your scent down and stuff like that. Yeah, you, you know, utilizing that technology, you're eliminating pressure. And, um, you know, it just takes one of the, an, an added step out of the equation, not to mention the time savings of, um, you know, physically going out and, and checking those, checking those cameras. You know, it's interesting. Something just popped in my head and we were talking a little bit offline and we got a couple more minutes here, but, um, you mentioned hunting pressure, getting photos of other hunters is valuable Intel too, especially if we're talking about public land. Are you hearing of anybody leveraging that data to like avoid people in the woods or 
Um, you know, not not so much our customer base. I mean, I think there's an applicable security um, use case for for those cameras and for that technology, but I don't think that anyone at this point in the game is, are really buying those specifically to monitor hunting pressure unless it's a very specific case and they're really trying to pinpoint a big deer. Um, and I'm sure there's people out there doing that. I just, you know, not seems like an ancillary possible. potential benefit, right? Or is like, a, you know, some additional piece that, oh, I got this target buck or I got this buck that I'm interested in now, but geez, I've seen right. three hunters pick up on my cam now. Okay, is he going to be pressured? You know, just another thing to consider. Correct. Well, cool. I mean, that, I mean, we got a couple more minutes. Are there any like final thoughts that you have? I mean, this is your world, you know? Well, I think, um, you know, when we start talking about the early season, um, I think there's some more context to probably add to the conversation. Um, and maybe I should have, I should have spoke about that and laid that timeline out right when we got started. But, you know, the early season to me really goes from, you know, whatever that opener is, let's say the mid September where that shift is happening. And it really goes until in my mind, probably around the 20th um, of October, right before, you know, from the 20, maybe to, maybe it's a little bit more than that. Maybe it's the 25th where that pre-rut starts to heat up and, you know, the bucks are starting to check, check scrapes and be a little more active and their home range are starting to, or their, their rut range is starting to kick in and they're starting to range out a little bit. So, you know, in the first couple of weeks, especially on oaks, these food sources change so, so fast. Um, and that's where the annual data really becomes a- applicable because if certain oaks are dropping, um, again, subspecies of white oaks are dropping at a certain time of the year, uh, maybe it is that third week of September, those deer are going to be in there until that food source is depleted and then they're moved on to the next. So inside of kind of that time frame from beginning of season to the 20th, Um, you know, don't be afraid, even though that you're maybe not in the woods checking cameras, don't be afraid to go out and scout some of those food sources and have additional cameras. Maybe it's one or two in your pack. That's one thing that, um, you know, we do a lot. And again, we have disposable cameras kind of at our resource. Um, but even if they're they're cheap $28 Tasco cams, um, it's good to have one or two of those in your pack. So when you're in the timber and you see something, you're not kicking yourself in the butt saying, oh man, I wish I had a camera. You can put that camera there and then physically find out what those data points are. Maybe there's a lack of data there. Maybe the camera, maybe it's a dead spot and, and deer aren't there for some reason, but either way, you'll know if, um, you know, if you have those extra cameras in your packet at all times. That's a good piece of advice. Well, thanks again. Uh, where do folks find Exodus? Is it uh, to list off a website for us? Yeah. ExodusOutdoorGear.com and Exodus trail cameras across social and YouTube. Cool. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it, Eric.